back to Short Story Hunters and this is episode four and we're back in the Lit Lounge. And if we continue coming here like this, they're probably going to charge us rent. What do you think, Johnny? I think they are because the bloke in the Hawaiian shirt, as soon as I came in, he clocked me, gave me a funny look. I just eyes down, thought, don't make eye contact. He might, he might let us stay here. Well, that's probably because you elbowed those guys away from the table. Well, that was a close thing. You know, we need to be in here for the Wi-Fi and uh, we'd look a bit stupid standing in the middle of the floor trying to do this, wouldn't we? Probably, well, you know, like a beach bar with the bloke with the Hawaiian shirt, it would fit, wouldn't it? It would, yeah. Give us some pina coladas. Yes. yes. Served in a coconut <laughs> with an umbrella in it. <laughs> Very nice, too. And, and, and two straws, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> so, so, what, what have we, we got do? this? Oh, yeah, what's your Let's yeah, do some work. Question. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, have you got a theme for us this week? Um, I thought some sci fi. And we could do, you know, attempt some beaming and things like that. Ah, yes, the final frontier and all that malarkey. I like a bit of sci-fi. Yeah, I do too. Um, do you watch much sci-fi? Mostly Star Trek. I must say, watched a lot of Star Trek. I'm the original bloke who's never seen Star Wars, by the way. Uh-oh. How dare you? <laughs> Realise I've committed heresy by making that admission, but it, nevertheless, it's true. Yeah, I've only ever seen about three episodes and that was it. The first three. Yeah. Show my age now. Yeah, anyway, so. let's get cracking. Um, today we have some spacey song lyrics, a bit of disco dancing between a robot from outer space Ooh. and a bloke. And then we also have a story written from an alien's point of view, and they are meddling with the history of Earth. Well, they're everywhere, those aliens. You know, you, you don't know where. They could be sitting beside... There could be, there could be aliens over in that other alcove over there. Well, you might be one. I could be. Well, technically, I am an alien in a skin well, line. <laughs> it's all my outfit of fashion. Well, no, as a foreigner, you're considered an alien, aren't you? That's right, yes. Did you say, take me to your leader when you came here? No, I think they'd have deported me, wouldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what have we got for listeners today, B? Well, the first story is told from a point of view of the alien, and uh, we'll see what happens when aliens meddle with the history of Earth. And our second story is a little bit more poetic, and it's written in the form of a song lyric, and we'll find out what happens when humans date robots from outer space. And our last one is about the pioneering days of warp drive. And our first story today is called The Zookeeper and is written by Annie Summerley. And Annie likes writing speculative and historical fiction, and in her work she enjoys tackling disability and LGBT issues as well. Likes nothing better than camping it up and watching Eurovision, and she's had short stories published in, amongst others, 404 Inc. and Litro. And Barbara's going to read it for us now. The Zookeeper by Annie Samerley. I saw them through the telescope, there on a small blue planet 60 million light years away. While my peers studied stars and black holes, there was nothing more I could think of than the elongated necks and glimmering feathers of the creatures from another galaxy. I had to know what they looked like up close. My telescope could only see so much. It was through that same telescope that I saw the comet, offering the distance heading towards the small blue planet. And the comet was big, too big. I'd heard of other planets that had been handed their ruins by comets, so I grabbed my dad's spaceship and told him to get moving. I punched numbers into the accelerator and dialed up the light years I needed. 
We got there just a hundred years before the comet was due to crash and got to work, collecting two of each and ushering them onto the big ship. As we pushed the heavy cages in, I decided what I would do with them. A zoo, I told my father, and he rolled his fourth eye. By the time he got back home, half the feathered reptiles had escaped from the cages and began chasing the ship crew into corners before eating them, which meant I was off to a bad start. But I opened my zoo all the same, and at first it was a success, until the alien cruelty committee snuck in at night to take pictures of their cages, and then the visitors stopped coming and the complaints rolled in. Take them back, people called. So that's what I did, much to my own disappointment. I got back on my father's ship, alone this time, and went a little slower than I should have. By the time I reached the blue planet, it had bounced back from the comet, yet somehow it looked worse. My ship landed in a forest and I found myself surrounded by mammals with opposite thumbs. The stardust that made me must have finally reached the tiny planet they called Earth. Hello there, I said, not without caution. I have brought back your people. And slowly, as the mammals took pictures and called for war, I opened the hold of my ship. The feathered and bloodthirsty creatures sauntered out and the humans thought them aliens. But they had been here first. And that was The Zookeeper, written by Annie. And very interesting perspective, point of view she took there of the aliens playing at Noah. So, Johnny, do you um, write a lot of sci-fi? I don't tend to write it, but I do tend to read it, and I watch a bit of it on telly and something I'm working on at the moment. Not exactly sci-fi, but it's sort of world-building, that sort of stuff, and I, I do like it. I mean, some of the modern sci-fi is absolutely fantastic. Um, if you look at some of the plots particularly mm. in things like Next Generation and Voyager and Star Trek. You know, they, they, so many of them could sustain a movie, let alone just oh. a one-hour well, one episode. Yeah, I like the sort of the human aspect to it more so than the, you know, just alien, alien, alien. I, I quite like when you get see people act or react in that scenario. Yeah, it's very true. Just effects. Yeah, and, 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 you know, exactly. I think, you know, getting on one of the hobby horse of mine is all too often when you see people appearing on the Graham Norton show about their next film they show a clip and it consists of ten explosions and a chase you know you think mm. well that's all very well it looks good but you know where's the story and mm. uh, in things like you know some really good sci-fi you've got really clever stories which challenge your perception challenge your thought process really make you think he definitely does yeah and talking about different sort of perceptions, we have our next story, and it's by Matthew Snodding again. Another story by Matthew, and I have a feeling we'll probably hear from him quite a few more times. He's a very good author. Yeah, very inventive. And he has the lyrics to a song. And we'll get to hear what happens when a man meets a robot and they go to the disco. Well, if you just excuse me for a few minutes, I'll go and get my lame jumpsuit on, I've got my spray tan on, <laughs> and my medallion, and uh, we'll go with it, shall Some we? Saturday night fever thing, you know. Yeah. <laughs> go, Johnny, go! <laughs> Frisco Disco by Matthew Snodding. I met a girl in a disco bar, laser eyes, she'll go far. I asked her if she'd like to dance, she said sure, without romance. She said, I'm a robot from outer space, come to free the human race. I'm a robot from outer space, take me to your funky place. We danced all night, I threw some moves, I don't know how, but she could groove. Funky feet, 
funky arms, resistant to all my charms. She said, I'm a robot from outer space, come to free the human race. I'm a robot from outer space, take me to your funky place. The sun came up, we danced all night, the whole world up was out of sight. She said to me, come to my ship. I said, what a ride, what a trip. She said, I'm a robot from outer space, come to free the human race. I'm a robot from outer space, take me to your funky place. Flying through the system, solar was its name. She knew where to go to, love was not the same. Flying out of space, into another mind, through each other's bodies, to the other side. I woke up, she was gone, all along with her song. Human race, now dead and gone, giving freedom to me alone. She said, I'm a robot from outer space, come to free the human race. I'm a robot from outer space, take me to your funky place. She said, I'm a robot from outer space, come to free the human race. I'm a and that was Frisco Disco by Matthew. And I really hope he did eventually end up at some sort of funky place. Well, he went to a lot of trouble, got himself all kitted out, so I hope he did too. So which alien would you not want to meet in a dark alley, Johnny? Well, I tell you what, I would never want to be assimilated into the Borg, into the collective. I just, you know, it would be terrible. Yeah, but would you know about it? I don't know. I suppose not, would you? That's a good question. You probably wouldn't be aware of it, would you? You'd just be one of those machines you just do. Well, yeah, a bit like now, really. I don't even know what to say to that. Let's go to the next story, shall we? Okay, okay. <laughs> and the next story is by... I'm not going to pronounce it because I can't pronounce it. And our last story is by Sinead from Ireland. And Sinead says she likes to read and write all sorts of fiction. And this time she's giving us a story about the early days of Warp Drive. And you're going to read it for us, Barbara. I think there's a little bit of a play on words here. The story's called To Boldly Go. To boldly go, but Sinead. Ever since childhood, space travel infatuated Captain Mark J. West. Age six and in total awe and wonder, he had watched the first manned flights to Mars with his dad. He enrolled in a space program as soon as he was eligible, then worked his socks off to get the grades he needed to be accepted as an astronaut trainee. A star performer in college, by the time scientists developed warp drive, making Star Trek a reality, he became the obvious choice to fly the first flight beyond our solar system. The mission was to travel to a remote planet identified as being like Earth some 10,000 light years distant. Radio telescopes had picked up signals emanating from the distant world, and experts deciphered the signals as being from another race. An intelligent life form, the first conclusive proof that we're not alone in the universe. Mark spent two years in intensive training to prepare for the mission. Warp drive was in its infancy, so testing and retesting and testing again made the process excruciatingly slow. But at last, his team announced the date for the momentous launch. The next chapter in the history of humanity was to be written, and written by him. Now with warp drive, Mark's craft Challenger 4 would cover the colossal distance, if not in the blink of an eye, then certainly in a matter of days. Seated at the controls, he performed all pre-launch checks. Then the countdown through his headset reached zero. 
Challenger 4 performed a textbook liftoff, then established a holding orbit around Earth, a crucial stage allowing Mission Control to check all parameters before giving Mark ultimate authority to implement warp drive for the first time in a go situation. Then the words he had waited for all his life came over the comm system. Challenger 4, go for warp drive. Roger, copy that, go for warp drive, Mark acknowledged. Only for a split second, he allowed his finger to hover over the return key of his control keypad. This was it, history in the making at the keystroke. In the words of James T. Kirk, Mark was about to boldly go. So what if that was a split infinitive? What did split infinitives mean at a time like this? And what the hell were they anyhow? He checked the date on the screen and then hit the key. There was a knock at the door. Mark ignored it. Then another one, louder this time. Then the lights went out and he heard his mum say, Mark, come on, quickly, your dinner will get cold. And that was Sinead's story to boldly go. And very nicely read there by B. That made it so. To boldly go, you made it so. Talking of which, have you ever seen Patrick Stewart live on stage? I haven't, but I hear he's really excellent. Oh, he's fabulous. He's very charismatic. And he actually even manages to get the odd Star Trek line into some of his performances. Really? <laughs> yeah, I saw him in Waiting for Godot and in Macbeth. And both times he said, and make it so. <laughs> and the crowd obviously just cracked up. Fabulous. I'd love to see good. that. Very smooth. Getting into Shakespeare, right? Yeah, well, I'm sure the Bard would have approved, you know. Oh, absolutely. He probably would have submitted his short stories to us, which reminds me, um, if you would like to submit a short story, then please go to litopia.com forward slash hunters and you'll find everything you need to know there, the submission form and everything. Yeah, and if you do make it so and do that, we look forward to hearing from you soon. And uh, it's goodbye to the next time because the music is about to start, I think. Let's get on this transporter quickly, Barbara. Beam me up, Johnny. Energize. <laughs>